Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Um, we are starting on a journey this morning, um, looking at these six practices. Um, that's going to be our journey over the next three months. We're, you know that um, what happened was we based it all basically around this verse that I'm going to put on the screen in our following Jesus and all of life. And this is out of the message version. And I know there's a lot of text and screen, but let me read it slowly because there's a couple of little things um, that it's really important we pick up out of this verse. God knew what he was doing from the very beginning. Listen to this now. He decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. You got to get that. You got to get that, all right? He decided from the outset, from the very beginning, to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines of the life of his son. It's always been the plan of Jesus that we would live like Jesus. It's always been the plan of the Father in heaven. It's always been the plan of the Trinity that the church of Jesus Christ, his body, would live as he lived. The Son stands first in line of humanity restored. So he's the, he's the archetype. He's the one that we follow. We see the original intended shape of our lives there in him. So these six practices are what we, do, we believe display the truth of Jesus. This is what we see Jesus' life look like in the New Testament. And so the original intended shape of our lives was in him. After God made that decision of what his children should be like, he followed it up. I love that. He followed it up by calling people by his name. Isn't that lovely? By name, by his name. After he called them by name, he set them on a solid basis with himself. And then after getting them established, he stayed with them to the end, gloriously completing what he had begun. Like that is the, the, the theology in that verse, or in those two or three verses, is completely incredible. Now, you know that we, we've talked a lot about our, our three main values. You know them. If you've been around Emmanuel, I just throw them up here so you can see them. But loving God, loving people, loving the world. And we base that out of the great commandment and the Great Commission. The Great Commandments, Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, love your neighbor as yourself. And then the Great Commission in Matthew 28 is go into all the world, making disciples, baptizing them, and teaching them. So that's hence the... And it used to be many, many years ago for the first maybe 10, 15 years, 10, 12 years, we were just loving God, loving people. And then we decided that maybe we were just being a little bit inclusive. So it was like, you know, we love God and we love anybody that comes along. But actually, there's a, there's a call to go. There's a call to love the unlovable. There's a call to love those that are different than us and all of that. So don't worry, Stevie. I won't knock your guitar down. I promise. That falls in his guitar. Okay. Um, so this, this is the whole idea. And so when we see Jesus, we see the original shape of our lives in him. And our desire this season is to define further what the shape of Jesus' life is so that we can take on the same shape. That's basically what it's all about. And so these were the, as I say, the rhythms that are along the wall, the rhythms or the practices or the habits of Jesus' life. And we're defining them under these six headings. And over the next um, number of months, we want to unpack these two a week. 
or sorry, two, one every two weeks, <laughs> one every two weeks, right through to Christmas. And, and so please bear with us, all right, because sometimes around these words there's been a, a little bit of cliche, a little bit of misunderstanding. So some people have already said to me, Phil, I'm not dead sure I'm not creative, but we are created in the image of the Father. We are created in Him. That is our creativity. And so we're going to unpack that a little bit. And so these core practices, as we'll call them, um, show us and display to us the life of Jesus. However, before we start into that next Lord's Day, it's important to say that Jesus never done anything without the empowering and the equipping presence of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we want to start this week. Before we kick into them, we want to look at the importance of the Holy Spirit. So if you've got a Bible or a phone um, and a, a Bible app, would you look at Luke, um, Luke chapter 4 with me? Um, really important. And if you mark your Bible, it'd be great if you have a pen, because there's some of these little things that are really good. Sometimes what I do is when, when, when I get a little ream of word, something jumps out, I just, I date it. I write a little date beside it in my Bible, and uh, that really helps me at times. And then I think, wow, I look back and say, well, what happened? Why did God say that to me on the 9th of November, 2017, and so on and on ago? Number, verse 1, um, look 4, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit. Now, the context of this is Jesus had just come from Jordan. It tells us that, returning from Jordan. And he has just been baptized by John. And when he was baptized by John, the Bible tells us that the heavens opened and the Spirit of God came upon Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Fully God, fully man. I've taught you on that. And so the, the power of the Holy Spirit came and rested on him. So he's full of the Holy Spirit. He's just got filled up. He just got filled up. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Interesting, isn't it? We think wilderness experiences are usually the devil. But Jesus got led by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness where he was going to go into a confrontation with the devil himself. Not just demons, not just his cohorts, but the devil himself, face to face with Satan. He's going to go head to head with Satan. If ever he needed the power and anointing of the Holy Spirit. And it feels like we're living in a day and age when that's becoming more and more evident. When the power, we, we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. We need to stay full because we leak. And there's a constant infilling. It's not a one-time, just a one-time baptism. It is a constant ongoing infilling. It's like working at your marriage. It's like staying in love. It's, it's working at this, staying constantly filled with the Holy Spirit. And, and I think we're going to need it because confrontation will be ahead of us as a church. And, and if you're not getting that by watching the news even at the minute, then you're asleep. You're missing something. So confrontation. So the power of the Spirit is really important. Led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And then verse 14 says, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. So he's full of the Spirit. He's led by the Spirit. Now he is uh, returning in the power. He's just won a confrontation. He's won a battle with the enemy. And he is full of power. The power of God filling, leading, and empowering and equipping to fight. It says in a report 
about him went out throughout the surrounding country, and he taught it in the synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, as was his custom, in his dairy and pen, he went to church, all right, on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read, and a scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him, all right, he didn't pick it, it was given to him. He enrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Father, I pray that as we unpack this word this morning, that you would lead us into it. We thank you that even the reading of your word brings forth blessing. The first chapter of Revelation tells us, blessed are those who read and blessed are those who hear. And so God, we ask you that you would bless this word in Jesus' name. It was the 2nd of May, you get my date right, 1844, in a place called Colchester in Ontario, Canada, that this boy was born. His name was Elijah McCoy, as you can see, and he was the son of George and Mildred McCoy. George and Mildred McCoy were escaped slaves. They had escaped from slavery in Kentucky through an underground railroad and had made it to Canada. And so Elijah McCoy was born a free man, um, an African-American. It was realized pretty early in Elijah McCoy's life that he was quite a genius. He just seemed to be able to think differently than anybody else. And at 15, his parents, George and Mildred, good names, they they decided to send um, Elijah to Edinburgh in Scotland to study. And so he came to Edinburgh in Scotland and he studied engineering, mechanical engineering, and he got an apprenticeship. And uh, he returned home to Michigan Michigan after becoming certified as a mechanical engineer. He was very, very smart. Now, despite his qualifications, because of the racial tension in America, he couldn't get a job. They wouldn't give him a, a job at that qualified level. And so he took on the job as a fireman in, in a train. Now, not a fireman like we would think of a fireman. This was a guy who shoveled coal into the boiler of the train as it would go along. And the trains were, the whole economy, the whole commerce back in this day relied on the railroad. It was, the railroad was the up and coming thing. And so it was the, it was the way commerce was growing. And so the world, the then known world depended on the power of the railway. Now, what happened, because of the early stages of railroad, what happened was the, rail, the train would take off and it would go literally five or six miles and then it would have to stop and a team of men would have to get out and oil the axles and oil all the moving parts. And then they would get back in, the train would go another five or six miles and because of steel to steel friction, things would dry up again and the train would have to stop and this team who were employed would get off and they would take probably an hour and they would oil all the moving parts, they would get back on. So you can imagine that, that was slow to get somewhere. And Elijah McCoy being on this train filling these, came up with an idea. And his idea was that he, 
invented this thing here called the McCoy Lubricating Cup. And what happened, he patented this. Actually, Elijah McCoy went on to, to, to make 60, maybe 70 different inventions. He was quite a genius, but this was his biggie. And, um, and what they would do with this little cup, they would, this, this cup would, would, they would bore a hole and they would attach it to a moving part. They would fill it with oil and the oil would constantly drip onto the moving parts. Hence, they no longer needed to employ a team of men. They no longer needed to stop the train every five miles. So this was an incredible invention. Now, what happened, because it was so powerful um, and, and it enhanced uh, commerce so, so powerfully, replicas started to hit the market. And so people started to try and design it and try to make the same one as Elijah McCoy had made. And the problem was they were useless and they just didn't work. His just seemed to, whatever his ingenious was, his worked and the replicas didn't. And so... Um, Hence was born the phrase, the real McCoy. Hmm. The real McCoy. So people would go to buy this here and they would ask, they would literally ask the question, is this the real McCoy? Is this the McCoy um, oil cup, lubricating oil cup? Now, I read that story recently and when it comes to a God-filled life, I need you to know that there are some things out there that are not the real McCoy. The devil is the master counterfeiter. He's the master at replicas. He's the master at making your life busy, even in ministry, to make you think that you're serving God in such a wonderful way, even though your health and your emotions and everything about you is going down the tubes. <laughs> He's incredibly sneaky. He has a way of using guilt and shame to um, put you in a place where you feel you're powerless, to put you in a place where you feel that the person even sitting beside you is better than you, more equipped than you, because you see, he's good at doing things that aren't the real McCoy. And so what I want to do this morning, um, Dave talked about this verse, it was for freedom that Christ has set you free. I want to talk to you this morning about the, the real McCoy. Because Jesus, the Son of God, was zero resistant to the Holy Spirit. He was zero resistant to the Holy Spirit. And he provides an incredible example for us. And we need the Holy Spirit's presence and power to change if we are going to live this Christ life, if we're going to do the works that Jesus did, like John told us we would do, we need to decrease so he can increase. We need to live a surrendered, submitted life to the Father and the Lordship of the Son in order to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of his presence. And in Western civilization, the devil will make sure that you have plenty of stuff going on that will prevent that. It's not even bad stuff. It's just stuff. Loads of stuff. And um, the Bible tells us this in First Peter, or in 2 Peter 1, it tells us that through his divine power, we may participate in the, divine, in the divine nature. Isn't that beautiful? Through his divine power, we actually may participate in the divine nature. Now, all these things aren't for heaven. We like to park these things all up for heaven. We like to think about our passport, but I'm talking about your driving license. Sometimes Christians are more, more 
think more about your passport than you do about your driving license. And you've got a driving license. And, and through his divine power right now, here and now, we may participate in the divine nature. Now, someone once said, a man with experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And my personal experience of the Holy Spirit, I've told you this before. I was a boy of 11 walking home from school between two hills at a little bridge. I had an encounter with God that, that seemed to go on for months. And every day, I, God met me in that place. I can't understand why that happened at that particular time. I just know, and I had the common sense not to tell. I think my parents might have locked me up, called for the people of the white coats. So I, I, I stored this in my heart. And that was the first time that I remember actually voicing a language to, 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 to speak to this person. I didn't know. I knew it was God. I didn't know in what form. And I didn't even know how to speak to him. So I, I'd never heard of speaking in tongues. I'd never read it in the Bible. Uh, I'd never really um, understood what that meant. But I formulated a language to commune with God. And God put something in my heart at that stage that, that would, 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 would take me through my life. And I've always been a bit of a hands-on type of person, a sort of a how and why. And in my childhood, I was always taking things apart, just never was that good at putting them back together again. Um, Kenny always helped me with that. But, um, and I might have been a good engineer, except I wasn't that good at maths. But as Christians, I, uh, as a Christian, early in my life, I, I began to find that people, especially preachers, love to tell you what to do, but they never really told you how to do it. And so they would tell you that you needed to read your Bible. They just never really taught you how to do it. They would tell you you needed to pray, but they never really just taught you how to do it. They would say all these things. And, and the problem is that if we do this, we just we, we, we need to know about the how. We need to know how we're going to do this. So how are we going to attack this abortion issue? How are we going to see the church rise in power in this generation? Because the church at this moment in time can be like a flimsy glove. And the glove is of no value until a hand goes into it. And when the hand goes into it, then it becomes something that we can use. But without it, without it, there's no point of me telling that glove to pick my Bible up because it just does nothing. And so if the, if, if, if the devil can keep the church void of the Holy Spirit, that's what we become. We just become an empty glove. And that doesn't frighten anybody. But when it's filled with something that gives it power and punch, then something begins to happen. And as church leaders, we need to know, I believe, how to release the Holy Spirit in a fresh and new way. Erwin um, McManus, in one of his books, The Barbarian Way, writes about the illustration of the church, which I've stuck in my head for many years. And he writes about how um, we, we, the church has become a zoo. <laughs> he likens it to a zoo. Now, you can take your kids to the zoo, and you don't expect them to get mauled by a lion. You don't expect them to get bit by an alligator or something, because it's safe. The animals are all enclosed, and you can go and look, and you can go and spectate. And the church has become a little bit like that. It's become a zoo, and we, we tend to keep the Holy Spirit in, in a safe place. And as leaders, even sometimes, we can protect our people from God. But his line is that the church was never meant to be the zoo. The church was meant to be a jungle. The church, listen to me, I say this with all love in my heart, is not a safe place. This is not a safe place. And if it becomes a safe place, then we're not doing our job right. 
This is a place where you will get unleashed. The love of God will get unleashed in your life. The truth of the word will, will convict you and charge you of sin in your life. It will change you. So yes, it's a safe place to come into, but it's not a safe place to stay in because you can't stay without allowing the Word of God to change you. So there's something about this that's really important, and we need to know how to sustain and steer the move of the Holy Spirit. Now, a um, few minutes, and then we're going to pray. This verse is very powerful. There are these couple of verses in John 7. Um, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who's thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed were in him. So here, we've, we've probably one of the most remarkable and challenging statements in all of the New Testament. He says this, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, like listen to the power of these. These words were spoken to Jesus, or two people, by Jesus who were spiritually dry. These were, these were people who were empty and defeated, and they were, they were like people of our day, they were just going through a religious ritual. They were going through a religious ritual and a ceremony that really had no meaning to life and to victory. And the Apostle John reminds us actually at the end of this that he was talking about the Holy Spirit. This is why he was mentioning this verse. He was saying, this is about the Holy Spirit. So in the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, when it comes to it, it is possible to go to extremes. We all know that. But however, at the fear of going to one extreme, we become devoid and we, we, we don't talk about it at all. And that's the problem. And herein lies the power for life and ministry. The Holy Spirit is our power source. And in the 21st century, we need to be reminded of the purpose and power of the third person of the Trinity, uh, the Holy Spirit. And it seems that the modern church, in some shape or form, has replaced the Holy Spirit breathing me to lights, camera, action. And it becomes more of a performance than it does of of something that is have power and meaning. And sometimes we can say, well, you can feel the presence of the Lord here, but if the presence of the Lord's here, then the power of God's here. And we're talking to Joy over the last couple of days, just even about many, many people who are sick and cancer being the scourge of our day and many of our family. And so we're going to devote time to that on Wednesday night in our prayer gathering just to pray for healing as well because it's really important that we do that. And we understand that where the presence of God, where the presence of God is, the power of God is. And if the presence, if you think the presence of God's there and there's no power, then something's wrong. It's just goosebumps. So we need the power of God. So in the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles, let me just tell you a little bit, the setting of this is really important. This, this verse is on the screen. Um, um, the occasion was the Feast of Tabernacle, Tabernacles, and it was the third in, in, the, in the Jewish feast. There were seven of them. This was number three. And in the Old Testament, the Feast of Tabernacles lasted seven days, and, and, and it was a Thanksgiving's feast. Feast. And what they did was the guidelines of this, you can find, I got them in Leviticus 23. That's where you can read about them. But the people were required to, to leave. So what you would have done, you would have left your home and you would have went and cut down some branches and some bamboos and things like that. And you'd have made a little booth. <laughs> That's what they did. And so they came away from their homes. They went into the, the center of Jerusalem and they would have filled that area with little booths, little tents made of branches and um, of sticks. And, uh, and at the heart of the feast was a daily 
procession. So what happened? Every single day, priests carrying golden pitchers would lead a parade uh, or procession through the city to the Pool of Siloam, and they, were sing, they would sing the words of Isaiah 12, 3, which says, Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. And they would have sang this verse. And the great crowd of people would then parade back to the temple, and the priests would pour the water from the pool of Siloam um, down upon the altar, and the people would shout and wave their palm branches. That's what would happen every day. They did this once every day. Now, the procedure, as I say, went on for seven days, but on the seventh day, there was two significant changes, all right? Uh, first, the first thing, when the people went to the Pool of Siloam, the priests would march around the altar. When they came back, they would march around the altar seven times, and that was to signify the victory of Jericho with Joshua at Jericho. Secondly, the priests would raise the golden pitchers like they did every other day up to this day to pour the water out. Only this time, when they, when they tipped the pitcher out, the pitchers were empty. They didn't put any water on them. And so for six, for six days previous, they'd poured water down upon the altar and would run down upon the steps. This day, they would march around with empty pitchers and they would turn them out as if they were going to pour water out and nothing would come out. And this was an empty picture. And this signified a disobedient generation. This signified a, a generation that died in the wilderness and instead of shouting and waving palm branches at that moment, the people stood in silence. I love how Jesus challenged things like this. And in that moment, after seven days of shouting and waving branches and victory and singing, at that moment when they're celebrating disobedience, at that moment when nobody knows what to say, Jesus stands up and shouts at the top of his voice, if anybody's thirsty, let him come to me. And out of, his, out of his innermost being, out of his belly, the authorized calls it, out of the very seat of his being will flow rivers of living water. You've got to get the picture of this. Jesus is watching these people go through the motions. He's, he's, he's watching them follow the order of service with no meaning, no power, no life. They found themselves right where they had started, nothing any different. They were going home empty. They'd, they'd done this celebration for a week, and now they were going home dispirited and empty. They were, there was no difference. What a, and, and nothing has changed over 2,000 years. Here we are, 2,000 years later, and people are doing the same. They're going through rituals and motions and ceremonies and going home empty with empty pictures. He embounds. Um, I shortened this little statement, but let me read it to you. He said that the Holy Spirit makes those who receive him weep like a child and live like a giant. It opens their heart and their purses gently and as strongly as spring opens leaves. This unction is not a gift of genius. It is not found in the halls of learning. No eloquence can woo it. No industry can win it. No practical hands can confer it. It is the gift of God, a signet set to his own messengers. It is given to those who have sought this anointed honor through many an hour of tearful and wrestling prayer. Now, three little things, and then we're going to pray. Three little things. Firstly, there was a condition described. They were thirsty. If anyone's 
thirsty. Thirst expresses desperation. Thirst will kill you quicker than hunger. And if the nurses and, and medical people in here will know that, you can go for weeks without food, but only days without water. Are you thirsty? Are you thirsty for God as we move into this new season on a level? Because here's the, here's the deal. Here's the deal. And this is a massive statement. You can have as much of God as you want. There's no limitations. You can have as much of Him or as little of Him as you want. That's the deal. The psalmist said, my soul pants for the, or as the deer pants for the water, so my soul pants after you. This was life stuff. This, was a, this wasn't a little deer looking to drink. This was a deer about to die. And, I, and, and, and so if you have unsatisfied need for God in your life, this is your moment. Because not only was there a condition described, there was an invitation given. Come. We're reminded here that Jesus stood to extend this invitation. Now, this is really important. He stood to extend it, which is significant because no Jewish teacher ever stood. The only people who ever stood to do things were imperial hurls. So people on behalf of the king, on behalf of royalty, stood to talk. Nobody else did. No rabbi ever stood to talk. They sat. But Jesus is standing up with a royal invitation to come. I love this. And because of that, he gives a promise. This promise was made. Out of their heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus doesn't promise a trickle. He doesn't just promise a flow. He promises a flood. I've told you this story before, the Amazon River. Its origin is above the freeze line in the, in the Andes, in the Andes Mountains in South America, some 17,000 feet above sea level. And there's a little trickle, trickle of water emerges from frozen ground, flows down the mountain. One little stream then flows into another little stream until a majestic river is formed that gives life to 2,000 different species of fish, the Amazon, right? As the river flows, it picks up speed. It flows for 4,060 miles before it reaches the Atlantic Ocean. And when it hits the ocean, the mouth of the Amazon River is 150 miles wide. And it hits, I don't know how to calculate this, but it hits the water, it hits the ocean at a rate of 60 million gallons of water per second. And they say that's enough fresh water to run a city like New York for probably 15 years, <laughs> every second. It hits with such force that it pushes fresh water 120 miles out into the sea. <laughs> fresh water, 120 miles, that's power. Jesus didn't promise a trickle, a stream, or a flow. He promised a river. And so... Stevie's going to come, and we're going to sing, and we're going to respond. Because here's the deal. Here's the deal. Somebody once said that, and I, I maybe don't like the term that much, but somebody once described the Holy Spirit as the secretary of the Trinity. Now, it's not degrading in any shape or form, so please hear me on this, all right? Some people say he's like the treasurer, so he, he's like the, holds the, he's like holds the, the all, all, all that the Father and the Son want to give us comes through the Holy Spirit. And I picked up this little letter. Um, I added a little bit to it and took away a little bit from it. And I hope you can see it. But um, 
when a person accepts Jesus Christ as their Savior, there's a registered letter arrives at the door of your heart with the following information, all right? Dear sir, dear madam, I've been advised by the Father and the Son to inform you that your sins are forgiven and blotted out. An invitation, at your invitation, I will flood you fresh every single day. Furthermore, I have been instructed to let you know that your name has been written in the Lamb's book of life in heaven. I am exhorted, I am to exhort you to be faithful unto death because an incorruptible crown and inheritance are waiting for you in heaven. And finally, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Yours most faithfully and ever abiding on behalf of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Some of us have been settling for things that are not the real McCoy. Some of us have been settling for things that are just cheap replicas to the real thing. When we live that life, we just get tired. We go home deflated. We go home feeling a little bit of a farce that we've just put a face on and we've done our best, I suppose. But there's no life and there's no vitality and there's no joy and there's and we'll do it again next week. We can even in church ministry that can happen so so easy. And so what I'd love us to do <clears throat> as we finish this off, I'd love us to sing. I'm gonna sing that song hungry. Near change the word to thirsty, but I'll not confuse anything. Um, but hungry, thirsty, I come to you. And what I love as we sing this, just as our close, and then I just say a short prayer because our time's just a bit gone. Um, I love if that's you this morning and you just feel like me this week. I've been thirsty. It's been a tough week for us, and I'm sure it's been a tough week in your household too. But um, I'd, I'd love you just to come. I'd love you to come. Come along the front. Let me pray for you. Let me pray a fresh infilling and empowering of the Holy Spirit as we do that. That all right? That okay? I'm with you. Okay. Father, come as we worship. And Father, for the people that are just dry and need that fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk. Let's start coming. Let's pray together.